Welcome to the next episode of the AHPBA podcast. In this show and tell episode, we were excited to talk with Dr. Florencia McAllister and Dr. Jennifer Wargo about their recent work on the role of the microbiome and response to chemotherapy for patients with pancreatic cancer. In this episode, we sought to talk with the team about this increasingly hot topic item and specifically talk with them about their recent publication in Cell entitled Tumor Microbiome Diversity and Composition Influences Pancreatic Cancer Outcomes. We'll leave this article for our listeners to review later in our show notes. Dr. McAllister holds a dual appointment as assistant professor in the Department of Gastrointestinal Medical Oncology and the Department of Clinical Cancer Prevention at MD Anderson Cancer Center. She earned her medical degree at the National University of Rosario Medical School in Argentina, followed by research training and medicine residency at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. She then went on to complete a clinical fellowship in medical oncology, a fellowship in clinical pharmacology, and a research fellowship at Johns Hopkins. She practices GI medical oncology at MD Anderson, as well as running a lab that focuses on early cancer detection, immunoprevention, and immunotherapy. Dr. Wargo is a professor in both the Department of Surgical Oncology and the Department of Genomic Medicine at MD Anderson Cancer Center. She earned her medical degree at the Medical College of Pennsylvania, followed by surgery residency training at the Massachusetts General Hospital. During her residency, she completed a research fellowship in surgical oncology at UCLA and trained in surgical oncology following residency at the NCI. Dr. Wargo is a preeminent surgeon scientist running a laboratory focusing on immunotherapy, the immune response, and the microbiome. We could introduce these two researchers for the next hour, but we figured we could cut to the chase and get to the interview. We hope you enjoy this episode as we did, as well as learning about new ways to think about pancreatic cancer and response to therapy. Without further ado, welcome Dr. McAllister and Dr. Wargo. Okay, so we're here with uh, Dr. McAllister and Dr. Wargo. Uh, We appreciate you all coming by and appreciate your time today. Uh, We wanted to discuss your recent paper in Cell on the microbiome of pancreas cancer. So uh, just to kind of get things started, we, you know, we're curious how you got interested in this topic. Uh, Dr. Wargo, specifically, you've done a lot of work on the tumor microbiome and how that all kind of came about. Yeah, so I'm a surgeon scientist. I actually uh, did my surgical training at Massachusetts General Hospital and then uh, did a fellowship in uh, surgical oncology, actually, too. One out at UCLA and one down at the NIH where I studied cancer immunotherapy. And after finishing those fellowships, I actually uh, went back on faculty at Massachusetts General Hospital where I treated patients both with pancreatic cancer as well as uh, treated patients with melanoma. And so I, uh, I always say I was doing wide excisions and whipples, if you will. <laughs> and so uh, there uh, I studied mechanisms of response and resistance to different forms of therapy uh, for both melanoma and for pancreatic cancer. And, and interestingly, uh, we came across a finding in patients with pancreatic cancer, which was quite interesting. and. Uh, through preclinical studies, we actually identified that bacteria in stromal cells were actually mediating therapeutic resistance mm. to chemotherapy in pancreatic cancer. And so we studied that in patients. And so uh, along with others at 
at MGH, including Christina Ferroni and Andy Warshaw mm -hmm. and Carlos Fernandez, we would actually take patients to the operating room and remove tumors sterilely and then look at the tumors, uh, played out uh, different cultures and found that in over 75% of patients with pancreatic cancer, you could actually identify bacteria within those tumors and that mm. those bacteria could actually break down gemcitabine into its inactive form. You know, and so, yeah. so we sequenced uh, the bacteria and found that they were a specific type of bacteria, gamma proteobacteria, mm -hmm. and then used mouse models to validate this and, and found, lo and behold, you know, that in these mouse <coughs> models, if you implanted a tumor and then injected bacteria into the tail vein, that the bacteria actually honed immediately to the tumor, mm. and that by co-treating these bugs in the tumor with antibiotics along with treating with gemcitabine or chemo, you could actually cure all the mice. And, you know, now it was rather simplistic to think, well, can we actually treat patients with antibiotics and give them chemo because, and I'm glad we didn't even try because now we know that the gut microbiome is so important, but that's essentially how I got started at looking at the tumor microbiome. So it really started in pancreas and yes. then transitioned to other diseases. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Well, you know, our next question was going to be how you came around to pancreas, but it sounds like that's the wrong question anyway. So Yeah, so I was studying both, uh, you know, that was the observation. The tumor microbiome, specifically in pancreatic cancer, is how I started to study the microbiome and, and yeah. later studied in uh, the tumor microbiome in melanoma and then uh, became aware of the tremendous uh, role of gut microbes in mediating immune responses and so really shifted my focus to that a few years ago. Yeah, and speaking of that, can you kind of summarize for our, you know, mostly HPB audience that may not read as much about the tumor microbiome, sort of what your broad strokes findings are? Uh, yeah, and so, you know, in, in studying at first the tumor microbiome, you know, we found those findings in pancreas and then uh, we became aware of the literature in the gut microbiome and this was first studied in patients with uh, leukemia who were treated with transplant. And they found that if patients had a more diverse gut microbiome, they actually did better. And then they also showed in mouse studies that uh, depending on what the gut microbiome looked like in mice, dictated whether or not they responded to treatment with immunotherapy for mm. melanoma and other cancer types. And so we got really excited about this, you know, when I moved to MD Anderson, really kind of focused more on melanoma than on pancreatic cancer. And so we studied this in a large cohort of patients and, and studied the gut microbiome in patients with metastatic melanoma going on to immunotherapy. And, and what we found was really striking, namely if patients had a more diverse microbiome, they were much more likely to respond to immunotherapy. And then there were different uh, bacteria that came up in responders versus non-responders mm -hmm. as well, and then showed that in mouse models you could actually change the microbiome and make the mice respond better. Yeah, perfect. And that that refers to a paper from Science 2018. If if readers or our listeners are interested in finding that and reading it, and then it, can you guys talk to how this specific project came about? It sounds like it feeds off that one, but Dr. McAllister, maybe you can speak to how this specific yeah. how you guys got together. And yeah, of course. So. Um, my background is in immunology as a um, um, basic science um, trained oncologist. Um, I've actually done my, my residency in, in Pittsburgh where I started working on immune cells that are actually triggered by bacteria. That's my first link to the microbiome. Um, and then upon my oncology fellowship in Hopkins, I got very interested about pancreatic cancer treatment, which is my main uh, clinical focus, but also 
uh, about sort of the interface between the, the microenvironment and how pancreatic cancer sort of starts and progresses. So uh, when I came to MD Anderson, um, I certainly started my lab with a, a very strong focus on the microenvironment. Um, and then because of these immune cells, TH17 cells, that we've, um, we've basically been studying for a long time and found that had a strong connection with the initiation of this cancer are triggered by bacteria. That's how I started uh, very interested about understanding what type of bacteria could trigger yeah. this type yeah. of cell. And then that actually um, brought me to connect with uh, Jennifer really early on, uh, like five years ago. Mm -hmm. And I basically shared my preclinical findings we had where we were basically giving antibiotics to mice and delaying mm. uh, tomorrow genesis. And then you know, at that time, Jennifer's work was already more advanced in the human stuff, so you know, she made me aware of those findings. So then we kind of quickly jumped into the um, human arena. We said, well, if it, if there's bacteria in the tumors, you know, we need to know if, if you know, does it actually matter? Yeah. Um, she had the findings within the chemotherapy setting, but we thought it would be interesting to actually have a cohort of patients in which we would actually compare the microbiome specifically at the tumor and see if it actually made a difference. And um, uh, for that, you know, in pancreatic cancer, unfortunately, uh, we don't have uh, the luxury of having, you know, clear responders as we do have in other tumors. So we were not able to really compare responders versus non-responders. So we thought the only way to really uh, have two kind of clear groups will be to go to those few patients who survive long-term uh, pancreatic mm -hmm. cancer, which are really, we know, all know, uh, very few, two or three in a hundred, uh, and I'm talking more than five, 10 years survival. Uh, so we had a cohort like that already established here that mm -hmm. uh, uh, Matt Katz was following for quite some time, that the patients were already sequenced. So we, uh, we thought we would focus on those patients and compare with a matched control patients who have a shorter survival with average year and a half survival after surgery. Um, and with that cohort in hand, we, we basically went ahead and did a 16S sequencing mm -hmm. and immunoprofiling. Um, and because of the topic being very new, we thought we needed a second cohort. So right. uh, through Annie Van Mitra and Laura Wood at Hopkins, where I, I was coming from, we had um, we got a hold of a second cohort that we use as a validation cohort. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, those actually were very long-term survivors. They also they they had more than ten years survival, and basically that's how the study came along. Okay, okay. and then can you just kind of briefly tell the listeners what you guys found? Uh, with between those two cohorts, of course. So uh, the first thing we uh, we found basically within the tumors was the um, a difference in the alpha diversity, basically mm -hmm. more heterogeneous uh, microbial composition in the long term survivors in both cohorts uh, using uh, different indexes. Uh, the second thing we found was uh, clear clustering between the two um, groups, the long term and short term. And even when we were looking at the composition of bacteria within the two institutions, um, surprisingly, the, the long-term survivors from both institutions sort of clustered together in yeah. terms of uh, microbial composition, suggesting that potentially there could be enrichment for common uh, bacteria right, between right. the two groups. And then we did deeper um, analysis and basically found um, a few uh, bacteria which are sort of enriched in both a right, long-term survivors right. that could potentially be used as a signature to predict long-term survivorship. So so all of this is really uh, what I have just described. It's really mostly associative. So we, mm. we still went a step ahead and tried uh, our best to do more um, mechanistic studies that sort of will prove the, the sort of uh, role of these bacteria 
in tumor progression and tumorogenesis. So um, we went ahead and did studies using, unfortunately, we were not able to do studies where we could take those bacteria from the tumors and put them on mice directly because of the viability. Of course, these tumors, most yeah. of them, you know, of course, uh, obtained more than 10 years ago. So, um, and then unfortunately, we cannot, we were not banking also stools mm -hmm. from those patients at that time. Therefore, uh, we did uh, a study in which we collected stools from patients with pancreatic cancer, healthy patients, and the third group of patients who survived pancreatic cancer long-term. Some of those were actually included in the study, mm -hmm. but of course this is collected now when they have no evidence of disease. Right. Um, and we basically put them onto mice. We created like a kind of humanized mouse model uh, of pancreatic cancer with implanted tumors orthotopically. Um, and what we found is that the tumors that formed on the mice that had been transplanted with pancreatic cancer patients' stools are the largest. Mm. Um, and then the, the ones that received the stool from patients that survived pancreatic cancer had the smallest tumors. So it uh, seems like there's some potential therapeutic role to this stuff at some point. That's kind of the, right. I'm cool. sure that's what you guys are working on actively at this point. Right. And you saw overlap between the microbes or the bacteria in the gut and those in the tumor. Right. right. So that's, yeah. so that was actually, yeah. So we did that actually proof of concept prior to using the stools because, um, you know, we wanted to modulate the tumor microbiome and, you know, the kind of natural way would be through the gut. So mm -hmm. indeed, we compared the gut and tumor microbiome of same patients that were going for surgery. And we did find around 20% of the microbes from the tumors were actually coming from the gut. But this bacteria was actually absent in the normal tissue, suggesting sort of some specific mm -hmm. enrichment within the tumors. Right. So, yeah, and that, that kind of led to those mouse studies. And based on that data, you're actually planning a clinical trial, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, um, we, are, we have several ideas uh, and on how to tackle these. There are several ways to do it. But the first study we want to do is a simple study, clean, in which we can answer a simple question, basically. Can we reproduce what we have done on the preclinical model in, in patients? Mm -hmm. So we want to do a window trial, a sort of really phase zero uh, sort of proof of concept trial uh, prior to surgery in which basically we will give FMT to patients uh, from healthy patients. Um, can you explain what FMT is? Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. So this is the... <laughs> don't, we don't want to leave it to people's imagination. How <laughs> so these are fecal microbial transplants, um, basically lyophilized pills um, okay. containing stools from patients that have been tested for all sorts of uh, you know, uh, pathogens. Um, and then, you know, they're given um, to, they, they actually produce in the laboratory of Dr. DuPont. Mm. Um, so the idea is if a patient with pancreatic cancer has uh, pathogenic bacteria within the tumors and dysbiosis within the gut, can normalizing the gut microbiome lead to changes at the tumor? Mm. Um, and, you know, can that be beneficial in yeah. terms of, you know, immune infiltration and later, you know, responses to therapy, etc. But initially, we will not be focusing on efficacy, but we will be focusing in, you know, can we actually, right. can colonization of the gut actually make can changes in the tumor? Mm -hmm. And can that have any impact on the immuno um, responses at the tumor? Yeah. Now, do you, is there any role for antibiotics in this mix? Do you uh, wipe the, wipe their microbiome clean before you do that or anything or? Yeah, I can speak to the antibiotic issue, you know, and it, it's a 
it's a double-edged sword, if you yeah. will. And so what people have shown recently is that if patients get antibiotics uh, before going on to treatment with immunotherapy for melanoma and, frankly, for multiple cancer types, they actually do worse. And why mm. is that? Well, it, essentially what's happening is probably wiping out the microbiome, the gut microbiome, and by doing so, <coughs> you impair the ability of the gut microbes to actually shape the immune response. And patients, there's just a paper published in uh, JAMA Oncology in 2019 by David Panato and others that showed that patients who receive antibiotics prior to receiving immunotherapy do markedly worse. Mm. Now, mm. again, now, sometimes you have to use antibiotics in patients. Yeah. And in addition to that, when you perform a fecal transplant, uh, so there is evidence from non-cancer indications that by wiping out the inherent microbiome and transplanting in an entirely new one, you actually get better engraftment or you get the bugs to stick right, better. Right. You know? and so, well, I think of it like ablative chemotherapy totally. before a stem cell transplant. Yes, absolutely. Right, right. And so we are actually, we're running a clinical trial uh, where we're giving gut microbiome modulation and we are giving antibiotics okay. uh, before. Now, I do, it. one of the many things that keeps me up at night is, you know, <laughs> are we harming patients by giving these antibiotics? Sure, sure. But the very nature of giving a new microbiome after giving those mm -hmm. antibiotics probably will, right. will right. address those issues. It's like but you're, you're hand-picking the good bacteria. So yeah, definitely. Hopefully. But it does make me worry sometimes about if you don't use a whole fecal transplant, you know, if you right. were to give say antibiotics like vanco and then only give one bug you mm. might actually really potentially be doing harm and okay. so i think okay yeah and we wrote a paper in lancet oncology and i think it was in 2019 kind of discussing the nuances of uh, modulating the microbiome in patients with cancer and so that would be a great reference for any of the listeners who okay. wanted to look Perfect. at that yeah yeah and I, I mean at least in in the cohort in this paper the antibiotics didn't change the at least didn't predict the microbiome right, right. so and, yeah, and we used antibiotics at the end of the treatment, and we were able to reverse some of the effects. Now, I should state that in pancreatic cancer um, specifically, I think there's, there's some potential evidence that antibiotics may not be as negative as they are, you know, in other cancer. And I think that also talks about the kind of differences between pancreatic cancer and others in terms of the immune suppression. Uh, yeah. fibrotic environment, etc. So, so George Miller published um, a couple of years ago now in Cancer Discovery, mm -hmm. uh, one of the first preclinical papers really modulating uh, the microbiome. And he actually shows that antibiotics um, in the context of pancreatic cancer uh, preclinical models may have a potential beneficial effect. But again, mm. this is preclinical models. Yeah. Uh, so there, there might be some nuances between, you know, models between different type of sure, cancers. Sure. So I think it's definitely a no in, in melanoma and it is, you know, a potential maybe in, right. in pancreatic cancer. But I agree with Jen that there is also a difference between just using the antibiotics to kind of wipe out the bad microbiome and replace it with good one versus only giving antibiotics. Mm -hmm. I think there's a huge difference. Yeah. And along the same lines, what do you think about neoadjuvant systemic chemo? What's that going to do to this effect? I mean, I know in the in the in the paper here, it didn't seem like neoadjuvant. Uh, I know you guys looked at that at least in the Anderson cohort, right? And it didn't seem like the neoadjuvant made a big difference. But do you think there's the right time in that in that treatment? You know, right after all the chemo, is that the worst time? Is that the best time? Has anybody looked at kind of the timing through neoadjuvant? Because yeah. I mean, I'm sure the immune system changes a lot while a patient's getting fulfarinox yeah. or. 
yeah, I mean, we didn't find differences, but also this, the the study was empowered. Right. To find sure. Of course. That. Of course. So, uh, you of know, course. I, and I think it, you know, study should be done looking at uh, those differences in that setting with you know higher number of patients. Um, but I mean, for now, you know, as I said before, we can actually see if there's any signal, if there's any you know um, biological effects of changing the microbiome. I would favor more like doing studies like after the neoadjuvant, but you know. Mm. Um, Potentially after that, you know, certainly studies in the neoadjuvant setting will be, you know, interesting. Right. Um, and certainly, you know, based on uh, the previous work, um, it's, you know, in, in, in combination with gemcitabine, you know, yeah. on, or other drugs. Yeah, and the other, the other topic, you know, that, could, that comes up during neoadjuvant is stenting, right? So these patients all have a stent. And is that going to change their, you know, that's very local, right? So, right. I mean, I guess that's one of the things reading this paper that came up. Is this a... A systemic effect mm -hmm. that the tumor microbiome is having, or is there something about the local tumor microbiome? Right. And that's, I would imagine, that changes when you put a metal stent into yeah. somebody's. We saw in our cohort in that science paper that we published in 2017, I guess, that if patients had uh, stents, they were more likely to have intratumoral bacteria. Okay. So there is some, um, and a lot of the bugs that are found in the tumor kind of from the duodenum and. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. You yeah, do yeah, see yeah, that. Totally. So maybe if you're giving them the right bugs, you want a stent in place? Is that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably I don't, don't know, know yet. Yeah, I don't but, know. Yeah. I think there's still many, many unknowns. Sure, know, many right, unknowns. Right. But I think it's. I think there. It is. It's. It's clear that you know. Yes, there's a tumor microbiome. You know, definitely in pancreatic cancer that it can impact therapeutic response and potentially carcinogenesis. But you know, which direction? I think it, it depends, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. how best to intervene on it? I think again, you know, we don't yeah. have all the right, sure. Sure. like the perfect answers yet, but to design rational studies is the best way to address it. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so along those lines, how do you guys think, you know, the mechanism of this all works out? Do you think that this is, you know, one of the things that came to mind reading the paper is this analogous to like the hygiene, the hygiene hypothesis where you're changing kind of the, the T cell milieu of the whole immune system and that's all changing based on what kind of bacteria you have in your microbiome? Or do you think it's a more local effect? Do you think it's carcinogenesis or the opposite, just a change in the immune system? Do you guys have any theories or uh, your best guess? Well, that's an easy question. Oh, good, <laughs> good. I wanted to give you some layups, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, so far, you, you know, we have many potential explanations. We, yeah. you know, we are in the process of testing them. Uh, I mean, we, we, you know, there are facts. Like, you know, if you deplete CD8s, you lose the efficacy of the long-term survivors fecal mm -hmm. microbial right, transplant. So right. that is a fact. Uh, now, if those CD8s were activated, you know, at the gut, um, or you know, if or if you need some kind of local mucosal intestinal initial priming uh, for a systemic effect, or is this happening initially at the tumor and mm -hmm. then it develops into a systemic effect? We don't know. And you know, is this a permeability issue? You know, is, is there a metabolic component to this, mm -hmm. you know, mediating it? I mean, yeah. so many open... More questions than answers, yes, maybe. Yes, but. yes, I, My general stance on this is that uh, if you think about, say, the gut microbiome, you know, certainly, here's an interesting tidbit, you know, you have more microbes in your body <coughs> than there are stars in the galaxy. <laughs> wow. it's, a, it's a great, yeah. great cocktail party tidbit. <laughs> but anyway, I think, you know, if you think about the vast surface area of the gut and this constant interaction, on one side of the gut you have these microbes and on the other side you have these dense network of immune cells and there's this constant interaction between the two. And candidly, I think these gut microbes are actually shaping overall immunity on a day-to-day -day basis 
you know, on a minute to minute and second to second basis in healthy mm. individuals and in patients with cancer. And so I think, yes, you know, can you actually, it, what's part of the mechanism? I think part of it is that the gut microbiome is regulating overall systemic immune tone, if you will, and by having a, a dysbiotic or a, you know, an unfavorable microbiome, you kind of could be at risk for more systemic inflammation and poor immunosurveillance and development of cancer and progression of cancer. But then I think there's also the other side of things where you know you have the gut microbiome which is modulating systemic immunity and then you also have the tumor microbiome which may be or uh, contributing to carcinogenesis in some cases, you know, and certainly with viruses we've seen this mm -hmm. and other cancer sure. types. But you know, sometimes it actually, if you have tumors within a, uh, or if you have microbes rather within a tumor, it can actually make it more uh, visible to the immune system. Mm. And, you know, essentially sure. it's, you know, tumor foreignness is one of the main yeah. reasons why tumors are rejected. And so having those bugs in a tumor can actually make them more susceptible to treatment with immunotherapy. But as we've seen from George Miller and others, it can actually, sometimes these microbes can actually dampen an immune response. And so it's it's tricky, I think, yeah. um, knowing which, you know, and again, I think it's, uh, you have to be really thoughtful about not only the tumor microbiome, but the gut microbiome and how everything plays in concert. And it's not all about the microbiome. I think mutations matter too. Sure, <laughs> sure, so, of course. So there's still KRAS and yeah, BRAF yeah, yeah. and other you know oncogenic drivers which are critically important and need to be addressed. Um, no, 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 I think that's it. I mean, it's super complex. <laughs> but I think the only way to know uh, how best you know, to really modulate this is to try, right? And and to yeah. to have a working understanding of the literature that's out there, to network, you know, to ask questions, to design these trials together, you know, and really do them in a thoughtful way because I think that the most harm we can do to the field is to run poorly designed trials and get negative results and they were negative because they were poorly designed. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. So the other question that came up, you know, between a couple of different papers, do you feel like there's a theme here that there's some specific, you know, kind of uh, a type of bacteria that's, that's helping all cancers or do you think it's going to be cancer by cancer? How do you see that playing out in the sort of larger field of, of oncology? Well, I think you brought up the hygiene hypothesis, and I think that's an interesting thing because I think um, if you think about, you know, us as a civilization and humans, you know, we've we've have we're eating more processed foods. Mm -hmm. We're generally, you know, less healthy, if you will. And is there a unifying? Could we identify a unifying kind of healthy microbiome that would not only you know be associated with enhanced immunotherapy responses, et cetera, in patients with cancer, but mm. overall immune health. Could we actually have a healthier microbiome, you know, by eating more fiber, yeah. you know, taking less antibiotics, you know, um, by just general overall health? I think there are unifying themes. What we've seen, at least in the gut microbiome for cancer, is that there are unifying kind of functional status of these microbes. So it may not be that the names of the bugs across the different cancer types are the same when you look at these different cohorts, but they're probably doing the same things. And so, you know, the in different cohorts, the general themes of the different microbes that are associated with response are there, you know, and so, but I would caution against getting fixated on one single 
microbial taxa, you know, yeah. or one bacteria that's going to cure everyone, you know, with if you give it to them by mouth, you know, yeah. I think that's that's a pipe dream. So broad strokes, diversity good. Diversity good. I we think don't... why is diversity good? Because of functional redundancy. I think it's what the bugs are doing, not their names that matters. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think consortia are are much better than single bacterial I strains. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, just moving forward, just really thinking about it and the interactions in a global standpoint, you know, is, is really important. So, you know, how am I trying to modulate the microbiome? Because, you know, hey, giving antibiotics may help your tumor microbiome, but it may completely destroy your gut microbiome and you could shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah. You know, so I think yeah. you have to think about the whole patient, you know, and, and think about, again, oncogenic drivers, about, you know, the gut microbiome, the tumor microbiome, overall immune fitness. What are they eating? That actually matters, yeah. you know? And so I think, yes, it's complicated, but I think, you know, if we can work on these things together, kind of take things all into consideration, I think we'll learn a lot and help our patients. Sure. Yeah. Great. Uh, and then the other kind of broad theme here, the, you think the diversity, a big part of what this is doing is shifting towards more maybe CD8 activity, CD8 T cell activity, and you think that's mostly what's tilting things? Well, I'll let Florencia, so with the diversity in the tumor microbiome, so, why is that? Right. Yeah, what, what's, yeah, well, what that, exactly is that doing? Again, I mean, uh, I don't think, I mean, we do see a clear association, especially between those enriched uh, bacteria. But I mean, we also know that long-term survivor patients, you know, have better uh, immune system. There's been reports before from um, Steve Leach and Binod Valachandra. I, I trained actually in Steve Leach's lab, and he... Um, has shown in a paper in Nature a couple of years ago that basically long-term survivors have better immunity. Mm. They have more kind of higher quality of uh, of uh, new epitopes on the T cells. So, so uh, from that perspective, it was not surprising that you know by association, you know the bacteria that are more frequently on the long-term survivors will sort of associate with better T cell responses. And you know a lot should still be done to understand why you know what is the connection between sure. that. Is that you know, some type of cross-reactivity between the, you know, TCR, you know, those T-cells and some microbes, um, or, you know, has, or is it an indirect effect where, you know, there are some microbes that might have it, you know, more like inhibitory effect mm-hmm. that you don't have it on the long-term survivors. Mm-hmm. So, again, you know, it's, it, it still has to be tested. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I think, you know, the last kind of question I had for the two of you is if, if all this works out over the next decade, kind of, how do you see this working? Is there going to be... A pill? Is it going to be, you know, or is it just going to be way too complex to ever be drilled down to one therapy? Or kind of, how do you see the future playing out if it works out in your ideal world? Well, I think one is, you know, I think using especially the gut microbiome as a biomarker and even the tumor microbiome as a biomarker Mm. is a real tractable strategy in the short term. Do you think that'll help choose therapies too? Like if you have X, you know, X microbiome, you need this pathway. Potentially. I I mean, I think, you know, hey, if you say, look, this, you know, this person, check their microbiome, their gut (coughs) microbiome as a kind of a, an association with overall immune tone. And you say, look, they, wow, they have a rock star microbiome, right? They have a great microbiome. They're going to respond perfectly to 
whatever. Yeah. And then also in the tumor, I think, you know, if you actually not only should we look at KRAS and other mutations, but look at the intratumoral microbiome and, you know, hey, if they have one of the bugs that Florencia identified with long-term survival, right. you know, maybe they're actually going to be okay and, you know, and it can help guide therapy. So I think in the short term, mm -hmm. we need to get more data. So collecting more data, and that's where surgeons and others can help, you know, yeah. collect these tumors, collect gut microbiome samples, try to get a better sense, not only in pancreatic cancer and other cancer types, what does it look like, but regional differences, uh, you know, collect dietary data actually mm -hmm. is pretty important. You know, so I think short term biomarker and then long term therapeutics, totally, we're going to have therapeutics that can optimize the gut microbiome. Um, the tumor microbiome, I think, you know, we will also have ways to target that, whether it's in ablative strategies with phage and other things, or if we actually, could we actually identify the tumor microbiome to the point where we can actually engineer vaccines, that would be mm, very cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, do, you, do we know anything about whether like a core needle is an effective way to assess the tumor's microbiome or does it have to be the whole specimen? So, so for pancreas, we are doing now a pilot study looking exactly at that. Okay, yeah. great. Because certainly that will be, you know, necessary for the trial. Right, so right. we are doing that. And I mean, the good thing is we do know that around 20%, as I said, of the tumor bacteria is coming from the stool. So by pairing in each patient, mm -hmm. those two samples will be able to find out if that's representative and if that's feasible. Great. Any other big take-home points you have for the listeners that we haven't covered? I think we've gone through most I things. I think we've gone through most of it. We, we did see an association. Eat your fiber, I will say. <laughs> you know, we did see an association in our patients that uh, if patients had a high-fiber diet, they were five times more likely to respond to treatment with immunotherapy. This is patients with metastatic wow. melanoma. So pretty profound. Yeah, and so is. diet matters, you know. And so uh, that's my take-home message. Yeah, yeah. By stock and Metamucil, is that? I don't know. You can't buy it in a pill yet. I, you know, I think... Uh, I think the dietary derived fiber is better, and Got so it. Uh, Got it. you know it's it's harder as far as compliance. But I think uh, eat your fiber is a is a right, good great. good thing to do. But yeah, excited to see more data come out, and you know happy to engage with anyone who's interested in this field because I think it's it's really important that we work together. Sure. Well, thank you both for your time. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate okay. it. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you so much.